Hi, this is Kenneth Johnson, creator of Alien Nation, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to any and all canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genre. It seems to be in the 90s and the 80s, <laughs> as we constantly are trapped in this, this, uh, these two decades. I am your host, Dr. Chris, and returning to the show... I am Mistress Zeneca. Who has been whipping people and... We we get into some adult material in the second episode we're going to cover tonight, but the, for the first episode, Generation to Generation, Mr. Zeneca has a plot synopsis for us. Generation to Generation, Alien Nation, Season 1, Episode four, uh, 13. <laughs> it varies, so. Um, originally aired January 29th, 1990. Several parties claim ownership of a mysterious Tectonese box that leaves a trail of death in its wake. So this episode, um, we also have probably, I mean, as he's not a main player, but he's a supporting cast member. Uh, the first major death of the show since, if you count Sykes' original partner, who was a character in the beginning of the movie, and we see his grave in the first episode. Yes, but this is actually the death of a character that we've come to learn and understand and love through the series um i don't know if i fell in love with him but i mean he was okay i, liked him. I mean he was all right uh <laughs> but he's, it's he's just like new agey it's uncle mudry yeah like, who i thought new i kept agey. saying was the grandfather but no he's the uncle so yeah he's uncle mudry he's he's new agey and he can actually walk in the ocean because he has adapted his body right like that did, yeah that 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 plot line didn't go anywhere they never brought that back up by the way <laughs> No, we, we but, should, well, uh, that's uh, not true. That's not true. In this episode, Buck brings it up during the funeral. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's already he's dead and they brought it up. They never do anything with him. They oh. should have been at like a plot point later on. Like, like um, they have to go on an ocean liner and they got to bring Uncle with them because he's the only one who can withstand the, the salt water or something. You know what I mean? That's lame. No. Okay, listen. We're going to write down the top ten things we're going to ask Ken about at the end of this show because we're definitely <laughs> going to have Ken Johnson back on this show because I've got an already at least three things i got to bring up to him about this show that we didn't bring up begin- in the beginning because we hadn't watched the show yet or I hadn't watched it in a million years. And Mr. Zeneca had never watched it before. Now we're no, going back into the show the with show. a fresh eyes open, and we are so knowledgeable because we're super experts having watched every episode in fine detail. Ken's going to have to come back on the show to answer some questions. <laughs> like about Uncle's water power, which doesn't do anything past that one episode, or the relationship him and Buck had, which was like interesting, but again, they didn't do anything with it later on. You know, they did... I think it was beautiful what they did do with that character and the moment where in this episode Uncle Mudri uh, fashions a, a a chain like a, a link on a chain and this chain had every link from a previous generation so 14 generations in this chain and Uncle Mudri who knows that he's going to pass on at some point soon you know he has this almost a precognitionish type of ability uh, he gives this chain to Buck and says that, you know, to give it to his father when the moment is right and you know when the moment is right. And I think that was just very beautiful. Like, Uncle Mudry, through this series, brings a touch of that mysticism that the alien culture has. And since he's an elder, he also has that knowledge of the of the ancient ways. Mm. So I think he was a very valuable character. I, I don't think he needed to perform any sort of Salt water, you know, public display, you know, to to prove that he's the second coming or anything like that, because that's not the point. The point was to give Buck hope in that moment. 
so this episode, uh, again, I don't quite understand why IMDb, who wrote these IMDb's for people. Um, Alfred is, Albert is not in this episode, unless he's in the background, but he's in like every single IMDb credit. This is like that little girl that shows up that's like the friend of um, uh, uh, the sister, Emily. And it's like, she's like never, ever in these episodes. <laughs> I think that might be due to more contractual obligations. Okay, because it just it just it really just feels like uh, just like you know Uncle you know when was okay so in the four episodes that we did that you weren't here for running your um your 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 new club the uncle never shows up in more than one <laughs> yeah and that's just to sit down and and say a few lines and then he leaves it was just kind of like I really wish he had been in every episode so his death made more of an impact. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, this yeah. is like this is this is just like a, little, a lot of horror movies. They don't establish a group of characters very well sometimes before they start picking them off one by one. In the first Scream movie, they really did. I mean, we all knew who Drew Barrymore was, so we all love Drew Barrymore. So when they kill her off, you know, it has an impact because you're shocked that happens. Later on, they establish the other characters, and nobody dies in that movie again for quite a while, not counting Henry Winkler. But again, everyone knows who Henry Winkler is. He was the Fonz. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not like the uncle was this iconic actor either. So them killing him off so the way they did was for the story, but God, I really wish he had been in more episodes. Because I don't, I never hated him. He was fun, but they just did nothing with him until now. Well, they kind of portrayed him like this kooky guy. You know, he's got a goat that you know he kind of likes having around, and you know he he does these weird things that sometimes they don't really understand why he does them. You know, so. Right. So they go to this auction after um, they, uh, you know, so, okay, so a couple quick notes things. Uh, children find a skeleton, very much reminiscent of, like, an 80s horror movie. I think we saw that plot line on Friday the 13th, some kids, some, some people finding yeah. a skeleton. I think we saw that it, plot line on the X-Files. In the woods. Yes, I think we saw it in the X-Files, too, <laughs> several times. I think we saw it on Bones in every episode. <laughs> uh, skeleton of a newcomer. Right, skeleton of a newcomer. Newcomer uh, seemed to be holding something... And it was a wrapping of a religious artifact, and so now the search is on for that religious artifact. Where did that go? Um, One of the curious things about the skeleton is that it seemed like it was dropped from a high height, meaning that it actually had fallen from the ship itself before the crash. So someone was trying to run away. Sykes hates spiders comes up hopefully it comes up again later on <laughs> uh, hippies in the barn sure <laughs> yeah, uh, this, is, this is an interesting character it very much reminded me of tommy chong oh really yeah the way he spoke wow man wow you know that oh right and the government man and the, the the social economics of things man yeah you're right i guess so yeah yeah you know yeah there's there's a moment um because he is a metalworking artist, so he uses these very specific uh, uh, ex- uh, combustibles in his artwork. And uh, they go and, and hear this boom and, and inspect, and Sykes ends up making him tell them what happened to that box. You know, he sold it to an auction house for $200 uh, because Sykes sees his marijuana plant and he says, like, oh, wow, man, wow, is that what that is, marijuana? Oh, some guy just gave that to me, man. He told me that was oregano. And so he says, I got your oregano. <laughs> I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard. That was just, that was great, great moment. So it goes to an auction house. Have you ever been to an auction house before? I have. I, I knew that was a dumb question. Uh, <laughs> I, I figured in your lifestyle and everything you've ever told me about you and everything you've ever shared on this podcast, by the way, uh, which okay. is everything about your life, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is not a part of Mr. Zeneca's life that has not been shared on this podcast, by the way. Go back and listen to The Max. Go back to listen to Kinder the Embraced. Go back and listen to at least Friday the 13th because she gets into a lot about her own like interest in the objects or whatever, and she relates a lot of her own personal stories. But yeah, go listen to The Max mostly. Um, yeah, that, death, that, in, that, death that, in the family. Yeah, we've covered that. We both had parents. We both had fathers that died. So, 
Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, I, I've been to auction houses because I used to go to estate sales. Okay. And uh, sometimes those estate sales go to the auction houses, uh, and that's where you can find some really cool things. And honestly, auction houses always seem to be like these very riche show show you know, places, but there are auction houses that starting bid is like $10, and you can get things very cheap. The box goes for $25,000, which in today's inflation would probably be like a million bucks, right? I didn't actually calculate that one out. I wish I did, but I didn't calculate it out. 33 years later, I'm almost going to be positive that this would have gone for much higher, especially if it's like alien technology. And it's a mystery box that could summon all sorts of death things, and the person who wins it dies because it fries frequencies him. But the entire time, we're questioning what the hell's in it, and I'm playing this clip in the background. Put the gun I down. saw you with the box! What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my son. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? What's in the box? <laughs> Probably the most famous line Brad Pitt will ever say. I actually was reminded of Pulp Fiction, because when the box does open, it actually shines a light on the person's face, and then the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and then the, the person fries. But that first moment, like when the, the suitcase is opened up in Pulp Fiction, the light shining on the face and that look of like, wow, yeah, that moment reminded me in this, in this episode. And also a shout out to my other podcast, which you've been on, I think, one episode for Once Upon a Time back during the pandemic. Um, uh, the Vampire Movie Minute podcast is currently covering Dracula 1979, which stars Franklin Langella. And what movie was Franklin Langella in, which has a mystery box in it? Hellraiser? No. That would be very funny, though. And actually interesting, considering his wide range of work. But no... Uh, Richard Matheson's short story was turned into a movie called The Box, starring his co-star from Superman Returns and Frank and the Robot, James Marsden, and uh, one of the last movies starring Cameron Diaz, because she, she kind of retired from acting after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He plays Anthony Stewart, who comes to them and says, so this box, you push the button, somebody will die, but you'll get a million bucks. Hmm. And okay. this movie is boring as all hell. The problem is it's a short story by Richard Matheson that was made into an episode of The Twilight Zone and done very well. They turned it into an hour and a half movie, and it is long and drawn out and boring. A lot of people hated it. Sorry, it's two hours. It is two hours based on an epi on something they turned into a half-hour episode of The Twilight Zone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't well, want to give it away. Go read the short story. But it's not uh, the heart of Tactonese, which is what's inside the box in our episode. That, that is what is claimed, you know, that it is the heart of Tecton. Tecton, uh, sorry. Tecton. And uh, just one note, though, before we move, move on to here. Did you recognize the auctioneer? Uh, yeah, he was, so, he's played yeah, um, the guy that, who's doing the calling, right? That is Aubrey Morris, and I recognized his face, and it took me a while to figure out where I recognized him from, but he is the captain from the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the BBC series, and he is the captain that uh, basically uh, is in a bathtub the entire time. It is hilarious, but I that that moment caught me there. Oh, right. That's exactly what I was thinking of. I was actually thinking of the fact that he was in Life Force, which I carried, I covered on the Vampire Movie Minute podcast, and he was the gardener in The Wicker Man. He was, and he was also Duncan on Babylon 5, one of my favorite shows. Right, uh, and he was uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Cockbond in um, Boy Meets World, which is a pretty uh, memorable episode with a, you know, like, one-off standing kind of character to, uh, thing. Also, he was the... Um, uh, he was the slightly, um, what do you call somebody who's acting, they're not gay, but they're acting gay, and you can't really Effeminate. Tell. Thank you. Effeminate character, um, mortician in Bordello of Blood. That's true. Yeah. And, and he has, he was passed on in 2015, so... Right. He's no longer with us, but such a great actor. Was he in anything else we've ever covered besides my other podcast, which I mentioned? Uh, no, none of our other shows. Okay, I just, I felt like maybe he was on, like, 
Yeah, he's such a great character actor, but no, none of the ones we've covered so far. This is Friday the first. Thirteenth or War of the Worlds? Interesting. Mm. Okay. Um, so Sykes has a uh, little brother. He's in the right. Big Brother program, as specified by his captain. Right, and the little brother lies for Sykes all the time to his grandmother because Sykes keeps saying that they're going to go to Disney World, they're going to go to the Mets game, or whatever baseball team is playing. Um, but uh, it was the Lakers game. The Lakers game because they're in California. Um, but he's not. It, it's to the hardware store. It's to get chili dogs. It's basically running errands with Sykes, and then he's and then the kid covers for Sykes. Um, I this this is so Sykes doesn't have to go to four weeks of training. Some sort of examination of some sort, right? Um, I guess this is to mirror what's happening with the uncle. I don't feel like this plot line was necessary for this episode. I think this could have worked in another episode. I, I agree. You know, this is uh, something to humanize Matthew Sykes and to kind of get him a little bit more into feeling like there's family involved. Mm-hmm. And the kid was great. Like the, the actor that plays the kid, Michael Faustino, he was the littlest guy in the Monster Squad, Eugene, that writes the letter to the army to send help because the monsters no are there. No way! Yeah, you that's him. That's awesome! Okay. Uh, that guy's still alive today, and he's in the documentary about uh, the Monster Squad. Wolfman's got nods. Yeah, yeah. He stopped his acting yes. but, uh, in, like, 1995. But, yeah, his, he's definitely out there. That is fantastic. Okay, I did not recognize him just because of how long ago the Monster Squad uh, came out. Now, I've seen the Monster Squad multiple times. Everyone I never meet has said they've never seen it. I always show it to them. So I've, I've seen it, but he definitely has grown up that I don't recognize him. And the haircut's yeah. very different compared to the one in the Monster Squad. Um, t- uh, Monster ate my Twinkie. <laughs> 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 and the dad's just like, oh, a scary monster there. And the dad's like making fun of his son. The mummy's right behind him. And then he closes the door of the mummy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, okay, let's do the monster squad. Uh, <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> um, so they follow the clues, and it finds out that um, Matt Stapp's in horse crap. But uh, it leads him back to the hippie, and he makes a comment about poison ivy. Poison ivy is apparently only on the East Coast. Is that true? You know, I don't know. That was interesting for him to say, because he's like, what if I got poison ivy? And George has to pipe in with his incane knowledge of Earth customs and everything else. Poison ivy can only be found in North America, it says. No, that's not true. Hold on, my internet's taking a minute. Uh, It is found everywhere in the United States except for Alaska and Hawaii. So what George says is not true. Yeah. Did okay. you also? Okay, so here's what is true: you cannot get poison ivy unless you are allergic to poison ivy. Interesting. I have had poison ivy contact me multiple times, and I've never had anything happen. I believe that to be almost true based on my own experience, but I can't speak for everyone else. But I asked a doctor about that, and he said, "Are you allergic to poison ivy?" I said, "No." Then you're not going to get poison ivy. <laughs> hmm. So. Um, I wonder if it's just a common allergy. I've been stung by a bee. Nothing happened. It swelled. It hurt. But I was fine. And bee stings do have venom in them that can kill you. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is true. Just like I eat peanut butter all the time. And people have peanut butter allergies. Talk about a bad trip, man. I love that line. <laughs> yeah. The way that this box kind of moves through the episode is, is pretty chaotic. You know, it's one at an auction and then... The person gets fried, and then the hippie steals it from the corpse of the person that just got fried, and, you know, it was still hot in his hands when he when he grabbed it, because he thought that he was ripped off from only getting $200 for it. I don't know what his endgame would have been with that, but then the utility company that actually purchased it at auction steals it back from him, and then they want it for an alternative energy source, and then it opens during the struggle at the near the end of the episode, and it fries one of the utility guys in charge there. Um, Actually, I was really surprised what the boxes revealed to be, because I was not expecting that at all. And I thought that was very good for this show, that that is... Um, 
you know, we're Tactides is an all tact tact and whatever the name of the planet is. Is it Tacton? Thank Tacton. Thank you. Is it all of us kind of way? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of reminds me of like there's an episode of Transformers Prime where they open up the um, the All Spark and they're transported to what Cybertron used to be and what it could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though they're not actually there. Um, the uh, and the elders, the idea the elders, to actually yeah. build a temple and have this object in there is extremely valuable for the Tectonese people because the the ability to actually just see your homeland, a homeland that you've probably never even been to, that's extremely valuable. And, you know, there's that whole phrase about when technology gets to a certain point, it looks like magic Mm -hmm. because this box just looks like a wooden box. It looks like just jewels on the side of it and on the top, nothing special, but touched in a certain way and with a certain, you know, feel or certain words it opens up and then they're transported into this memory. And that is what's the, the memory of the planet Tecton. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And even, even Sykes could see it. And that's what I think would change humans perspective on uh, the newcomer culture. If they could actually, yeah, see they are aliens. This is different, but you know, kind of blowing their minds with, you know, cosmic <laughs> horror that there is, Actually, more out there, you know? Yeah, I actually thought the box opening up was going to be kind of like this. Let me play a clip from this famous movie. That is the Nazis opening up the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's very reminiscent of that. It's very beautiful. And then all of a sudden, ah! <laughs> don't open your eyes, Marion. Whatever you do, don't open your eyes. <laughs> we had sex out of wedlock several times. We're getting sinful, too. <laughs> and I had sex with you when you were 16 years old, apparently. <laughs> great theory on the Big Bang Theory that the um, Indiana Jones did nothing and, and uh, the, the Nazis would eventually open the Ark of the Covenant and would have died in, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, that's why I said that is fortunately true. It's a fun romp. <laughs> it's a fun romp. <laughs> but don't ever break down my favorite movie of all time like that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, George dies. It's it's really it, this is they have a like a blue light kind of ceremony for him. I want to point out that the female elder looks the most alien of all the aliens who have ever been on this show, including the superhuman Hulk one uh, that uh, the that um, uh, Terrence Stamp transformed into in the movie. And that's because her uh, her jawline matches up with the edge of her crest of her of her dome, so it definitely looks more oh my God. one looks, piece. She looks terrifying with the, the head the way it is. I mean, yeah. it looks like the aliens from uh like like the ones we are perceived to be the ones in our real life. Okay, like the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull type of aliens. Yes, I was going to make a joke about Mexico, but sure, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull style aliens, communion, fire in the sky. Um, yeah, uh, especially fire in the sky. If you've seen the aliens of fire in the sky, she really looks like those. And they are the grays, but they're more brown or tan skin. Um, but the fire in the sky aliens look a lot like her. Mm. So if her eyeballs were huge and she was naked, yeah. I'd be having some serious flashbacks to that time I was on that country road. This is why every time I take a shit, it hurts. <laughs> Do you think that ever comes up on this show about alien abductions with the Tactonese? Uh, what, what was that? Okay. Another question to ask Ken when we have him back on the show, if it doesn't come up, we got to ask him, why was an alien abduction ever brought up on this show? Hmm. Right? 
because maybe because it was about immigration versus alien abduction, all those alien theories and Air Force One and stuff like that. That would have all happened prior to the Tactanese landing. True. So why was it brought up? You know what I mean? We apparently have been monitoring. We have that. That was that episode where they were like, oh, you know, this is the the program that was monitoring the skies and found out about the Tactanese. And now we're monitoring the skies again. And they found out about the, 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 the overlords that are still out there causing trouble. So, you know what I mean? They had to stop that signal from going out to let them know this is where Earth is. Um, you know, maybe the whole topic of, like, actual alien abductions or whatnot is just too big of a topic to 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 kind of mention on the show. Because the, the, the purpose of the show was more about showing um, a, a culture and a population and... and how the the social constructs kind of mingle between. So I don't know. Any sort of like the UFO, you know, conspiracy stuff might have just been a little bit too much. Maybe, but we'll see what happens. We got um, what do we got? Ten episodes left. Twenty, tw- tw- fifteen episodes. <clears throat> I, I have to look. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Um, that's all the notes I have, except for um, oh, okay. So there's 21 episodes. Um, so we are uh, we are getting into the second half of the show's uh, run. Um, but uh, there's yes, one more thing I have to say though on this episode. Sykes and the kid I, go on the camping trip. Well, yeah, Sykes and the kid go on a camping trip, and it's very very sweet, you know. And yes, you're right. It could have been put in any sort of episode. You know, it's a nice vignette moment. Um, but what I did want to state was that at the very end, when Buck passes the chain to his dad, George, and they're thinking about Uncle Mudry, you oh, you can hear the narration from Uncle Mudry and saying, we are all stardust, scattered, drifting, yet united by one voice. Brilliant writing. Excellent. And we'll have to ask Ken about why did they kill off Uncle Mudry? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, I think uh, that will be another a- a question that we should add to the list to to talk to him about based on uh, sure. our re-knowledge of the show. Um, now, just to keep in mind, if Dr. Muji shows up in one episode after what we just watched, like the whole Buck getting in trouble and then he's, uh, then he's on house arrest, but then everything's fine, the out-of-continuity-ness of some of the plot lines, I'm going to be seriously pissed. And I'm just worried that maybe the DVDs are out of order. <laughs> like the episodes on the DVDs are out of order you know what I mean like you're trying to watch Firefly watch it the way it is on the DVDs because they put them in actual order of how it's supposed to be not the way that the original broadcast were ah. yeah we watch the original broadcast of Firefly it doesn't make a lot of sense you watch the episode order on the DVDs they put them actually in the order that uh, Joss Whedon intended nice yeah so uh, we're going to take a quick break and plug some other cool podcasts that I'm associated with or friends with. And we'll be back on the Dead TV podcast uh, with no special guest star, but uh, we'll wax poetically about Angela Bassett. <laughs> and we're back on the Dead TV podcast with our next episode. Eyewitness News, Season 1, Episode 14. Originally aired February 5th, 1990, the line between reality and fantasy blurs when a crossed video phone line gets a, uh, lets a boardroom of executives see a sex actor, actress attacked. Mm. Well, George becomes swept up in celebrity when a news crew does a week-long special on him. That uh, that opening was pretty hot, and uh, I was having visions of Videodrome starring um, uh, <laughs> James uh, Woods, directed by David Cronenberg. Absolutely. Like, seriously? I was like, wow, it's like Videodrome. Is that what the episode's going to be about with the tabloid reporter and Videodrome had tabloid reporters? No. But it does have Angela Bassett, I think, one of not one of her first roles, because you look at her IMDb, she had been doing crap for quite a while. But yeah, th- this is like ten God, years into her career. Episode. Oh yeah, and good God, is she so hot in this episode? I mean, yes, as the queen mom of Wakanda, whoo, hot. But like <laughs> earlier in life, like whoo. And I had no idea she's been on almost a hundred episodes of Nine One One. Wow. I was like, seriously, that show went on that long? Holy crap! Um, what I thought was really interesting 
um, was that her geek cred is all over the place because she was the voice of a Decepticon in the Bumblebee movie. She was Shatter. She was a female female Decepticon. <clears throat> she was also in Critters 4 as Fran. Oh, God. I think that's something she <laughs> never wants to remember. Good God. I mean, how low was her career at the time to do that movie? <laughs> I mean, that's 1992, so not too long after this. That was not a film she probably wanted to do. That was a paycheck film. But after she was in Boys to Men, you think she would have, like, elevated her status. But, I mean, again, she was, like, a stewardess in Kindergarten Cop, and she was in one episode with The Flash as well. So it's not like she had this, like, massive career until apparently the mid-90s. But Boys to Men was a big catalyst for her, and then later on it was stuff like Strange Days, and then it was a low point in Vampire in Brooklyn, even though she's the second billing in that movie. And by the way, hottest fucking Angela Bassett ever is her as a fucking vampire. Holy shit. <laughs> Woo! Gets me hot. <laughs> but let's face it, like, Waiting to Exhale and How Stella Got Her Groove Back, I think that was, like, the explosion of her. Definitely. Definitely. How Stella, definitely. Yeah. And, and Strange Days, too. She was a huge character in that, too. Um, but, uh, you know, now, again, nowadays, most people know her from 911 and Black Panther's mom. <laughs> um, yeah. unfortunately, if you saw Black Panther, the last movie, it's kind of sad. Um, was her performance better than Jamie Lee Curtis's in her film? Do you think? Uh, well, I can't really say because I haven't seen the new Black Panther film. Okay, so she's got great scenes in it up until the middle of the film, but Jamie Lee Curtis has like got like a chewing scenery film scenes the entire movie, where she is just an angry, angry IRS agent. <laughs> oh yeah, and the, and I mean that film was just brilliant in all accords. Right, but. It was like this viral video of Angela Bassett not clapping and with this like stern look on her face like I didn't win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in a movie of Asian actors, the one white actress won an Academy Award. True, but I do think it might have been one of those awards that it's given because of the extensive film career rather than the specific film that you're in. That is correct, especially a Brendan Fraser. Now, granted, The Whale is a great movie. I can never rewatch it because I cannot watch the way he eats in that movie. It is gross and disgusting, and that's probably a, 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 a compliment to Brendan Fraser's acting in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, it's truly disgusting. I mean, he's a giant fat suit, and the way he eats is gross. A lot of people have problems with the way he eats in that movie because he eats, he eats like a whale. And uh, it, it, the way he consumes food is just like I would watch the behind the scenes of Brendan Fraser trying to do that because I can't imagine that was comfortable. Um, but uh, I think that was also Brendan Fraser's like that pick me up. You know what I mean? This is somebody mm-hmm. who's been thrown down hard and then needed to be picked up again. All the stuff that happened to him, you know, in the 2000s and then yeah. his career becoming a thing again. So, you know, wish him all the best of luck with whatever he's got coming up next. So. Uh, but she's fantastic in this episode as the intrepid reporter, and she's in the whole thing, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is front and center. Yeah. Uh, she was that bit part actor for a while, it seems, based on a lot of her IMDb. The fact that she was, like, in The Flash, and she was in Critters 4. Now, this episode, you know, I, I watched it, and it's kind of confusing what's really going on because there's so many players involved. You know, the, we have the... <clears throat> The voyeur video crew that basically has, you know, they produce videos for people that get um, basically like webcammed to them, this specific show that they ask for. There is someone that is a giggling client that is possibly the perpetrator of the violent acts against the sex worker. And then there is a. husband that has a credit card that paid for you know uh, previous sessions with this woman and it, it got a little confusing so the very turn at the end you know where we actually do find out who is responsible for the violence against the sex worker it came out of nowhere for me like i i was kind of blown away that that was the person that they were were tagging i was also shocked the amount of sex worker stuff and 
half-naked women in this episode. Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, it was... It's, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> it, 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 there, okay, listen, there's, there is some serious prostitution and stripping in the movie, but that movie was rated R, so that makes sense. <laughs> but this is like, holy cow, there is chicks in bikinis, and yes, they're not naked, but wow, it is... It is hot stuff in this episode, especially with like the whole exotic woman thing with the ta- you know the weird uh, the, the 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 way the the Tactonese look with the spots all over them and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, also, one thing in this episode is that there they do a television bit with a tone that goes across the the screen that causes arousal in the Tectonese women. And that is really not gotten into again in the episode, um, but it seems like it was kind of connected to that voyeur video uh, tape that they had. It, did you get a connection there? Because I, there, these were like facts that were going on in the episode that I couldn't connect the lines as to where they were going with that. Why the, the video tone, which is a F sharp above high C, has that effect on them and what effect would that benefit the company by putting on the tape? It was just this, well, this episode was just a little weird for me and how it was structured. Indeed. Um, so the final, the, the final person that gets put away is the son of the man that had the credit card that purchased the sex worker videotapes. Um, also the guy that talks to Sykes while they're at the, uh, the, the photo shoot, whatever, has got the most caterpillar eye, eyebrows I have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's very funny how easy they were able to find the sex cells, um, stuff with the Tactonese women, you know what I mean? Considering that, you know, as, as George has pointed out that your species is obsessed with sex, mine is not. But the women of the Tactonese certainly got involved in it pretty fast. Um, I don't know if there was any male prostitutes. I, I'm sure there were, but this was not... We were not... Okay, the show was progressive. It was not that progressive. Um, and also, most of the time, you're not going to see a lot of male prostitution, with the exception of, uh, I don't know, that Jeffrey Dahmer show on Netflix. Yeah. It's not. It's not a, a topic that's covered very often. No, because let's face it. You do a statistic. Ninety. Most of the prostitutes are going to be women. True, and most of the prostitute um, uh, purchasing it comes from Men. people of the male persuasion. Yes. Um, and that goes for both gay and straight too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, oh, oh! I, mean, so, I remember what I was gonna say. This is like hard copy. You ever watch that? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Okay. This is this is exactly like that. The PR piece that Angela Bassett is putting together is very uh, supportive of George. Like it's very positive. Like I was kind of surprised how positive it was. As was George's family. They're all very shocked that it was so good. But Sykes doesn't like it because it makes him look a little bit like a fool. That's okay, though. In this episode, George kind of rolls with it. And there's a lot of points being made in this episode. There is a point of how far do you stretch your ethics in order to portray the best version of yourself possible? You know, in this episode, we have Emily's birthday party, but it's not her birthday. And this party is all done fake. All the presents are empty boxes. The the kids are there that she doesn't know. The friend that she has that's there didn't give her a present because she's waiting for her actual birthday party a week later. So it's it's all done for show. And Buck makes a good point about them being kind of feeling like they're in a zoo because they smile when they say for us to smile. We perform when they ask us to perform. And so George kind of takes this advice of like, George sees this and is like, well, yes, I have put my family through a lot. And I thought it was for the best possible to like have this idea that the newcomers can be a, a valuable part of the 
human society, but at what expense? And and so he kind of does not fulfill like the last part of the process of the of the hard copy news uh, thing where they catch the perp and the perp is a kid and uh, because he's trying to protect this kid because he's still a minor. And uh, that right there caused Angela Bassett to get kind of pissed off and she still does the report in a specific way, but he doesn't compromise what makes him a good cop in order to actually put on this facade. There's a lot of messages in this episode. It's a good episode, just the way it's formatted. It's a little weird for me. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot going on here. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like they had multiple things going on at once with this uh, with this investigation. Um, I wonder if we watch enough of these cop shows, the uh, plot lines kind of bleed together in terms of. And by that I mean like, oh, we saw this cop plot with Richblade. We saw this cop plot with Kindred. You know, because that was that had a cop procedural thing to it, just because of one of the main characters yeah. being a cop. Um, it seems to be the easiest go-to for television in every form: grim, Witchblade, supernatural to some extent. Well, you pretty much have the procedures written down so if you follow the line of the procedures you just kind of have to put the plot along with that and it might make it a bit easier to write i'm not sure uh sykes has a lot of cactus in his apartment did you notice that that's to reflect how spiny he is wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. by the way he also has a baltimore orioles cap in the background behind the plants did you happen to catch that I did not. Okay, that was something I caught immediately, because I know what Baltimore's Orioles cap is. And I was like, it, did he ever mention he's from Maryland? Uh, I don't know. Okay, just little things in the background I always love trying to find sometimes, especially in a messy apartment like his. Um, mm -hmm. He's got his iron next to the fridge. And by the way, I have the scene paused right now. So okay. <laughs> he, has his, he has an iron next to the fridge. Um, and on his refrigerator, he has a dare sticker. Do you know, does everyone know what dare was? Oh yeah. Back in the day, it taught you how to do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is, uh, and let, let, a, let, a, okay. <laughs> Having, <laughs> knowing what I know, and I don't want to say anymore, how much is that, how much of that is happening through a place of business in Providence that recently opened? You keep saying Providence. I mean, uh, Philadelphia. My is in Philly. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Sorry, it's a P word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we have a lot of drugs that go in and out of the club. You know, kinksters don't really mix play with uh, mind-altering substances too often. Okay, just want to make absolutely certain. Uh, <laughs> I've been going to a club a lot lately myself. Uh, Man Ray in Boston just recently opened. I don't know if you ever heard of Man Ray. No. It was a famous goth club that that was around from 1985 to 2005, and 18 years later, it opened up in uh, the late January this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's in downtown Cambridge. Uh, it's across the street from a, uh, a burger place that stays open until 2 a.m. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so I've been hanging out there. A lot of goth chicks, a lot of goth, a lot of goth stuff. That's why I go. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. You love them gothy. Yes. Yes, indeed. I... Uh, so that, there is that. <laughs> uh, my love of goth girls continues. Uh, so I guess the end <laughs> message of this episode is something about parental supervision. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm kind of lost on what the exact message that this episode was trying to give me. Yeah, don't let your kid get a hold of your credit card and he won't buy pornography on the uh, non-existent internet. But the very closing out, the closing scene is amazing. It is um, Kathy, you know, giving Sykes a video on the biology of newcomers. And she says that it is true to life and hinting that, uh, she would like to see a little bit more of him because she admitted earlier in the episode that she had seen human pornography and they share this very cute and awkward moment 
that is just uh, chef's kiss. Just great. (laughs) Yes. um, She's not in a lot of this episode. I really want a more Kathy-centered episode because we actually have the actress who plays Kathy on our show. Well, we interviewed her, so we're we're holding it for very uh, like a, a Kathy episode. Yeah, which yeah. I I, I got to assume there is one, um, and uh, she was she was very nice. She was happy to do it because Kenneth recommended uh, her to us. So thank you, Kenneth Johnson, once again. Uh, but uh, I definitely want her backstory kind of episode, or where she is like the focal point. You know what I mean? She is the plot line. So uh, we will probably play that with that uh, coming up hopefully soon. But uh, yeah, no, it was really great to see her, considering she was not in the last one at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, she's uh, interested in um, after watching the pornography. Obviously, I feel like that the, the these these aliens are like any other creature. They, they're surrounded in the atmosphere of something for so long. They they get adapted to it, so they start wanting things like it. You know what I mean? Since the Tactanese are not all about sex or whatever, her desires for Matt, her desires to engage in what she saw in the pornography, is because of her being on Earth and because of. Just like this is the cultural norm to find a mate and fuck. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, the father of the criminal boy uh, was played by Hugh McGuire, and he has been in a lot of things. Hold on. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. Okay. One minute. <clears throat> Okay, like One second. Nope, nope. I mean, uh, just also pointing out that 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 Kathy's uh, videotape interest has come a long way since Herbie the Love Bug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the father of the criminal son is played by Hugh McGuire, and he has been in a lot of things. Like he has had a very long and illustrious career, but um, he is probably most—I I wouldn't say most known for—but he was in. Batman versus Superman as Dawn of Justice as Jack O'Dwyer, oh. and Doctor Sleep as Horace Derwent. Okay, I don't remember her in that. I don't remember him in that movie, but yeah, go on. But one of the things I saw in his IMDb is that his first, uh, for his first movie was a movie called Hitler's Madman. Oh my! Who plays? He plays a little boy who's uncredited in that, but that was 1943. Holy cow! Yeah. That was almost a hundred years ago, like eighty. Is that, is that math right? Uh, his last film was No Sudden Move, and he played Mel Forbin, Forbert. Forbert. And that was 2021. Gotcha. Well, uh, these are two solid episodes to have... <clears throat> excuse me. These are two solid episodes to have you return to here on the Dead TV Podcast. Yeah. I, I just want to bring up the boy himself. Yep. So the son, the criminal for the episode, is played by Rob King, and he's actually oh. a stuntman. Cool. He is not really an actor. He is a stuntman. And so this is like one of his few acting credits. Uh-huh. But he's been a stuntman on so many things. Cool. Yeah. Like right now he's on, uh, he's a stunt coordinator for Shining Veil TV series. I don't know that one. I, I don't know either, but it's there. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get certain shows finished. Like the, like the Mandalorian's about to wrap up. The Bad Batch ended. Um, I, I just time the last couple of weeks to try and watch a show or a movie that I've got piling up or whatever has been a pain in the butt. So, um, thankfully a couple of things I watch are ending or about to run out of episodes. Um, uh, but I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. So that, that was what the notes that I have for this episode. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast or on Twitter. We have had a couple emails that I need to fish out that we'll read next time we come back and uh, about where Mr. Seneca was. One of the emails. That that was one email. Um, yeah. <laughs> where is Mr. Seneca? She's doing all kinds of weird stuff in Philly. We're going to be making a 12-foot Godzilla at some point soon. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, you can keep track of me on ElegantlyKinky.com. You I know. ran into a collaborator, Mr. Zeneca's, for the Trauma Films uh, commercial that she did last year at uh, PAX East at the Trauma, uh, at the Toxic Crusaders video game booth, which is a beat-em-up video game a la the style of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one that came out last year. 
So if you're a fan of beat-em-up video games 90s style, definitely check this out. All the Toxic Crusaders are available to be played in this game. Awesome. Yeah, and your friend was Toxie at the booth. He's been Toxie for several years. Yeah, JT. He works with me at the Mahoning Drive-In. He is our manager of the decor team. He loves playing Toxie for Troma Entertainment because they truly value his participation. Fantastic. And I believe Troma Films is going to have a big budget movie in theaters coming up soon. Uh, the revival of the Toxic uh, Avenger played by Peter Dinklage. If that is still Peter happening. Dinklage, yes. If that's still happening. I haven't heard anything about it, so I don't know the details of where I it is think right it's, now. I think it's still happening. Okay. I don't, I don't it, have any details. It hasn't been filmed yet. I do not know. Okay, I don't have any details either, but that was the last time I heard anything about it was Peter Dinklage. This was post, post-pandemic year, so mm-hmm. this was, that, that news should, of, uh, something, something should be coming of it soon. So, anyway, uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with episodes 15 and 16 of Alien Nation. And like I said, find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Christy S.A.V. or at Elegantly Kiki. If you wish to send us an email and talk about the show or anything we missed or anything you want to know or any questions you might have to Ken when we try to have him back on the show, uh, send him to thatradiofhorror at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment and on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, or wherever you happen to listen to these podcasts. Uh, we're not on Podbean, but it's something I'm working on, looking to get done as well. By the way, a lot of the details of the episodes can be found on IMDb as well, um, with a link to the show, but it does not stream from IMDb. I don't know how to do that yet. Apparently, that's a way to do another, you know, another streaming way for podcasts, but I'll have to see because that seems very strange. Um, I don't see IMDb catching an RSS, RSS feed, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, unlike Audible, they do. So we're on there. Um, but there's not a lot of reviews for Audible's podcast, so we're not completely alone in that darkness. Um, but I've had somebody mention that, oh, I found you on Audible when I was searching for Friday the 13th. And I was just like, it's going to always go back to Friday the 13th, which is great. Um, but our uh, we did have an email about War of the Worlds I'll get back to later on. Um, I have some funny Highlander stuff to talk about next time we come back as well, because we've had Adrian Paul on the show. Okay, you can catch me up on the next episode. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, and have a good night. Good night.